We're in Wilderness University, and let me just set up the picture. Because as you probably have heard the story of the people of God, the people of Israel, creating, making a golden calf and worshiping that golden calf. You know, you notice how God puts in the good, the bad, and the ugly. He doesn't put in just all the good things Israel did. He puts in everything. But God carefully orchestrates things in such a way to teach us something. And I firmly believe this incident we're going to look at today, this lesson in the wilderness, is a lesson that we have to learn if we're going to know who God really is. So just a little background. Of course, you remember Exodus 20, God met with his people, remember, last week, and he spoke to them audibly on Mount Sinai and gave them the Ten Commandments. And the fire and the mountain shook and clouds and and everything was amazing and awesome. But basically the people backed up and said, you know, I don't think we can handle this, God. This, this, this is scary. Uh, and so they just said, Moses, Moses, if you don't mind, you be our go-between. You go talk to God and then you report back to us. Tell us what God says and we'll do it. Well, the problem is they didn't do it. <laughs> That's what they said. And so that was Exodus 20. And now you begin going through. And, and, and Exodus 24 tells us this. It tells us that God summoned Moses and Joshua and Aaron and her to come up to the mountain. Because he wanted to actually give them, he wanted to give Moses the tablets that he wrote with his own hand. It's kind of an interesting picture. So let's look at it in Exodus 24, um, verse 14 through 18. Moses told the elders, stay here and wait until we come back. Aaron and her are here with you. If anybody has a dispute while I'm gone, consult with them. That's a way of saying, hey, you're in charge, guys. And then Moses climbed up the mountain and the cloud covered it. And the glory of the Lord settled down on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from inside the cloud to the Israelites at the foot of the mountain. The glory of the Lord appeared at the summit like a consuming fire. So from their viewpoint, they looked up the top of the mountain. It just looked like fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses just disappeared into the cloud as he climbed higher up on the mountain. He remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So while Moses is there, the people are down below. Aaron and her are in charge. And they saw Moses walk into what looked like fire. And it was an awesome sight. And he was there for 40 days and 40 nights. Very similar. Remember, Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And so that meant that Aaron and her and all the people of Israel had to wait for 40 days and 40 nights. How many of you like waiting? As long as it hurries up. You don't mind waiting as long as it's quick. Well, I believe there are some lessons here 
And this is the first lesson. And that is you need to be careful how you wait. Be careful how you wait on God. And I, you know, I just learned this, and that is that all your life you're going to be waiting on God. From time to time, all of your life, you will be waiting on God in one way or the other. I've just decided that's just something He does. He calls us to wait on Him. And I've learned something else about waiting on God, and that is that we're waiting on God to do one certain thing. And while we're waiting on God to do that particular thing, God is interested in something totally separate. And so this is what God does. He hits the pause button. Everybody understand pause button? And we don't understand why everything's on pause because we're waiting on God for God to do this certain thing. But God hits that pause button in order to work in us in another area. Change our attitude. Change our perspective. Change our heart. And I'm just going to use this for an example. Let's just say you're single here this morning and you're waiting on a husband or you're waiting on a wife. Okay, so you're praying, Lord, send that life mate, that soul mate for me uh, because that's what we want. We want to have that person to share a life with. So we pray and ask God to do that. And God begins to work on that. But then God holds up because maybe he knows our heart's not ready for that person. And if he brought them to us. We wouldn't be ready for them. And so he puts the whole thing on pause. And he's working in our hearts. And here's the problem. If we're focused on trying to get God to answer that problem, get, trying to get God to answer that prayer, trying to get God to get on the move, if God is focused on this area of our heart and we're focused on getting God to move, we're missing the point. We miss what God wants to do. And so my caution is be careful. Be careful as you wait on God. Look how they waited on God. Verse 1, Exodus 32. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. All of a sudden, he's not the leader. He's just some fellow. He's just some guy that brought us out of here. Now he's not even the leader. And they're saying, hey, we don't even know if he's going to come back. Israel did not wait very well. And the danger that lurks in waiting is that you can hear wrong voices. You hear wrong voices. If you don't wait upon God with a patient heart, then familiar old voices from the past begin to speak. And they begin to call you backwards. Come back here. It's a lot of fun. Come back here. And... 
in essence, that's what happened to Israel. They begin to think and hear these voices of Egypt. They begin to be drawn back to their old life that they had in Egypt. It's amazing. While they're in Egypt, they couldn't wait to get out of there. They couldn't wait to get out of the bondage and the hardship. But now all of a sudden, Egypt is the good old days. So your heart changes. And this is what I want to say. I want to encourage you. Be careful as you wait on God. Because, yes, it can be an exciting time while God works in your heart, changes you, changes your perspective, and renews you and strengthens you. I love Isaiah 40, uh, verse 31, that says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let me explain what that verse really means. They that wait patiently upon God's timing, then they will mount up with wings as eagles. You have to wait patiently upon God's timing. And when you do, it can be an exciting time where God strengthens you, puts His power and His anointing and His ability in you, and you have like wings of eagles, renewed your strength. And you can go for a long period of time without running out of energy. Why? Because you waited on His timing. But the backside of that verse, if you don't wait patiently with God, and if you get impatient with God, and you get out of His timing and say, well, I'm tired of waiting on God, and you just decide you're going to move ahead, you will miss God's timing. And you will listen to the wrong voices. And you will head in the wrong direction. And that leads us to what Israel did. And I know most people would say, okay, they... They worshipped a golden calf. They created and worshipped a golden calf. But for me, they recreated God. So my number two lesson is be careful not to recreate God. Be careful not to recreate God. Let's look at what happened actually there. It's, we've read verse 1. Let's read verse 2 through 6 of Exodus 32. It says, So Aaron said, Take the gold rings from the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. You remember they got all kinds of gold from the people of Egypt. When they left Egypt, all the people of Egypt gave them all kinds of gold. Then Aaron took the gold. Now watch carefully what he does. Aaron took the gold, melted it, and molded it into the shape of a calf. So he worked on this thing. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Verse 5. Aaron saw how excited the people were. So he built an altar in front of the calf. Can you believe that? So he didn't just build a golden calf. He built an altar to the Lord right beside the golden calf. Then he announced, 
Tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. What is, what is Aaron doing? He's trying to get God's approval of what he knows is wrong. I see a lot of people do that. They want God's approval on what God has already said is wrong. But it kind of makes them feel better about their sin if they can get God's approval. That's why he built the altar. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated the feasting with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. In other words, it just turned into a wild party. So they didn't do real well in their waiting. And they recreated God, a God, so they could, it would be more comfortable, so they could move it around at, at their leisure, and they could ignore this God if they wanted to. You see, that's what happens in the heart of man. When we reject the God of the Bible, we want a God that we can control. We want a God that's comfortable. We want a God that we can change it if we want to. And, and all kinds of people are changing what God's Word says. They're recreating God the way they want God to be because the God of the Bible is uncomfortable to them. It, it tells them some things they don't like. It says certain things are wrong and they don't like to be told that they're wrong. And so they're going to change the God of the Bible into being a different God. If you heard the interview as, as we ran the video at the beginning, all kinds of people believe all kinds of crazy things. One guy said, I'm a God to myself. And that's the way a lot of people think. And the reason they think that is they don't like the God of the Bible. I have no doubt some of those people have heard the Word of God. They've heard about who Jesus is and who God really is. But you know the truth of it is? They would have rather have a more comfortable God than a holy God of the Bible. The holy God who reveals himself to us, both Old and New Testament, is very uncomfortable for a lot of people. So I want to encourage you. This is a lesson right here. God put this incident in. He revealed what Aaron did. He revealed what the people did to warn you and I, don't recreate God. To your own liking. Accept God for who he says he is. You see. God. Wants to change you. To be more like him. We. Want to change God. To be more like us. So I encourage you. Let's do what God wants. Let's let him change us. Into his own image. Into his own likeness. Let God work in you. Perfecting you and changing you by the power of the Holy Spirit. But you have to make a decision. You have to decide. I am not going to try and recreate God. As I was reading this. That question jumped up at me. And that is. 
What kind of false gods are we serving that keep us from serving the true and living God? You see, here's something we need to realize. When you recreate God to be a different God, one that's comfortable, what that does is it blinds you to who God really is. It blinds you to His great love for you. You can't see who He really is because you've recreated God in your own image, your own likeness, something you like, something that makes you comfortable, one that doesn't cramp your style. And unfortunately, once you've made that decision that you don't want a holy God, And you want a God that's more comfortable. Here's the danger. You start listening to the wrong leaders. And that to me is the third lesson. Be careful of the leaders you follow. I want to tell you. (laughs) It kind of jumps out at me. I don't know about how it jumps out at you. But aren't you amazed that they follow Aaron? I mean this guy is a piece of cake. He's amazing. He wants God's approval of what he knows is wrong. He was there. He was there when God said, don't make any graven images. Be careful not to do that. And then he warned them, warned them one last time after he finished the Ten Commandments. He warned them one last time. And be sure, remember, don't make any graven images. Aaron was there. Moses is up on the mountain. He can see that he's in the presence of God up there. And when the people say, make us some gods, make us a different God, Aaron should have said, are you kidding me? I'm not doing that. God said not to do that. But no, he doesn't do that. He doesn't challenge it. He doesn't argue. He just says, oh, okay. Give me all the gold that you have. And then then he works on it. You know, we don't know how long he worked on it, but it takes a little time. If you're in the middle of the wilderness, it takes a little time to get a furnace and get a fire hot enough to melt all the gold and then to be able to mold and shape that gold into a golden calf. So we're working at this. And Aaron is supervising and doing it. And I thought to myself, this is a warning on this side of the cross. Be careful who you follow. There are a lot of voices out there today, folks. And I'll, I'll put, I'll just say this, and I've said it before. We all have a responsibility to do the right thing and follow the truth no matter what any leader tells you. And that includes me. If I would tell you wrong, you have a responsibility to walk in the truth. that right? Every person has a responsibility to honor God, to do the right thing, and to follow His Word. And if any leader 
begins leading you in the wrong direction, telling you something that's obviously wrong. You need to be willing to say, no, I'm not going there. Aaron was a weak-willed man-pleaser. He had no spiritual backbone. He didn't have the courage. He would rather have the praises of the people than the pleasing an honorable God. And Aaron was a leader you should not follow. I believe that's why this is here. God was putting an exclamation point here saying, People, be careful. Don't follow the wrong people. Be careful of the people you follow. I want you to look at Exodus 15, excuse me, yeah, 32, verse 15 through 24. It's interesting. Kind of shows you something about Aaron here. Then Moses turned, went down to the mountain. God had just spoken to him about what's going on down there. He held in his hand the two stone tablets inscribed in the terms of the covenant. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. These tablets were God's work. The words on them were written by God himself. When Joshua heard the boisterous noise of the people shouting below them, he exclaimed to Moses, it sounds like war in the camp. But Moses replied, no, it's not a shout of victory or a wailing of defeat. I hear the sound of a celebration. Moses knew exactly what was going on because God had filled him in on what was going on. When they came near the camp, Moses saw the calf and the dancing, and he burned with anger. He threw the stone tablet to the ground, smashing them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf they had made and burned it. He ground it into powder, threw it into the water, and forced the people to drink it. Interesting. Finally, he turned to Aaron, the temporary leader, and demanded, What did these people do to you to make you bring such terrible sin upon them? Don't get so upset, my Lord, Aaron replied. You yourself know how evil these people are. They said to me, make us gods who will lead us. We don't know what has happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. That's true. He he did repeat what they said. Now look at verse 24. So I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. And when they brought it to me, I simply threw it into the fire. And out came this golden calf. I want you to examine, why did he say that? Have you ever thought about that? It's lie. He's lying. He's lying. Moses knows he's lying. God has already told him what's happened. But what is really going on here? I was reading that this and and the Lord said so clearly. He said... Aaron was trying to say the golden calf was a miracle of God. He was trying to attribute the miraculous of God to the golden calf. Remember, he built an altar next to it. He dedicated and said, we're going to have a feasting before the Lord. We're going to sacrifice to the Lord. He's already trying to get God's approval. 
He's already trying to say, this is God, folks. This golden calf, this is God. And when confronted with Moses, what do I say? I know. I just threw that gold into the fire and shazam. Out pops this golden calf. It's a miracle, Moses. He was saying, God was behind this. Folks, be careful. I'm going to say this carefully. Be careful when following a leader who tries to attribute the miraculous to what is obviously sin. This is going on all over. Leaders all over are trying to give the appearance of the miraculous. But it's not God. My wife and I, she's been reading through our diaries. I think we got through 1987 yesterday. Uh, and she reminds, every once in a while she'll stop and say, oh, let me read you this, let me read you this. And we're reading. She puts everything in the diary. It's something you don't want to read. Um, but she said, you're not going to believe this. I didn't remember you did this. She said, Renee, she said, you called uh, John Osteen. Now, this is Joel's daddy. This is before Joel Osteen had that church. John was the daddy, and he had it. And John Osteen was having this woman in their church and that she would have the bleeding hands. And blood would come out of her hands. And she said, Renee, look what you did. You called John Osteen's church and you confronted them saying, what are you doing having such a person in your church? That is not God because there's no kind of reference in the Bible whatsoever of anything like that. And, and she said they responded, we've had her four times. There's been some controversy, but we don't have a problem with the fact that it's not in the Bible. Interesting. All over America, things are going on in churches and ministries. And they're trying to attribute the miraculous to God when it's not God. So again, you and I have a responsibility to discern when something's God and when it's not God. And I want to tell you, be careful. Don't just be sucked in. Just because something looks miraculous. Just because it has the element of supernatural looking. Aaron was lying to Moses. But worse, he was offending a holy God. I'm surprised God didn't strike Aaron down right there. To be honest with you. But he didn't. God had Moses to respond in mercy. It's amazing. I would have said, Aaron, even though you're my brother, you're out of here. Go sleep in the other, way on the other side of the tent. But no, he didn't do that. He continued side by side with Moses. Despite the event of the golden calf. And that 
And that just, it, it, I was stuck on that until the Lord spoke to my heart. And that's what I want to talk to you about now, the last lesson. To me, the most powerful lesson. And that is the power of one person's intercession. I want us to go back. We're, we're going to look at Exodus 32. And I want us to look at verse 7 through 14. We got down to verse 6 before, but we left this out for a reason. I want you to see this. The Lord told Moses, quick, go down the mountain. Your people, (laughs) your people, we just transferred ownership now. God's just disowned his people. And he said to Moses, your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves, how quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live. They have melted down gold and made a calf. They have bowed down and sacrificed to it. They are saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. God is dealing with Moses on top of the mountain, and God knows exactly what's going on down at the bottom of the mountain, and he even knows their conversation. Then the Lord said, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them and I will destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. But Moses tried to pacify the Lord as God. Oh, Lord, he said, why are you so angry with your own people whom you brought? (laughs) You see the change here? For the Lord said, your people, now Moses is reminding, no, 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 no. These are your people who you brought out from the land of Egypt with such great power and such a strong hand. These are not my people, Lord. These are your people. Why let the Egyptians say their God rescued them with evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountains and wiping them from the face of the earth? Turn away from your fierce anger. Change your mind about this terrible disaster you have threatened against your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You bound yourself with an oath to them, saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven. I will give them all of this land that I have promised to your descendants so that they will possess it forever. And I love verse 14. It's got to be the most powerful verse and and, and almost the whole Old Testament. So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring on his own people. God changed his mind because of the intercession of one person. Think about that, folks. If God spared the whole nation because of the intercession of one person, will not God spare your family when you intercede for your family? Will not God work on your behalf and your children and your grandchildren when you intercede for them? If God was willing to listen to one man and he saved a whole nation, will not God listen to you? I want you to think about some things about Moses and the way he responded. 
just, it just amazes me. Moses did not talk about, think about, mention, or argue about the sin of the people. You notice that? It's a good thing Moses didn't say, you're right, God, these people are sinful people. They are sinful and rebellious. Just wipe them out. We'll start over. Thank God he didn't. But what did he do? He didn't focus in on how great their sin was. You see what he, what, what he focused on? He focused on God's reputation and what God was able to do. And he also focused on the plan and purpose God had for the nation of Israel. He said, you made a promise. You were going to give them this land. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you were going to make a great nation out of them. Oh, my goodness. When I saw that, I just realized and remembered that this is who God is to us today. If you want to say, what is these what are these people serving, you know, worshiping a golden calf? What does that have to say to me? What does it affect about my life? The Word of God says in Philippians 1, 6, He says, He who has begun a good work in you. And I'm certain that God who began a good work in you will continue His work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. God is going to finish the work that He has begun in you and He's not going to give up on it. And so many times the difference is are you willing to pray? Are you willing to intercede? You may be the only person who's interceding for some people. There may be no one else. You may be the only person who is able and willing to intercede. And God made a promise. The promise is I'm going to finish what I started. God's going to finish what he started in you. And you, you look at your own life and you see your failures and you say, Oh God, how in the world are you going to pull this off? God is not confident in your ability. He's confident in his ability to finish what he started. Prayer, intercession is powerful. If there was ever an example, and and if you read through the Old Testament, you'll have to understand, this was not the only time that intercession saved the whole nation. You go to Numbers 15, Numbers 16, a very similar event happened when they rose up against Moses and Korah and Abiram and Nathan and a bunch of people rebelled against Moses and against God. And, and God said, get out of the way, Moses. I'm going to take care of these people. And once again, Moses stepped in and said, no, Lord, no, don't do it. Don't hold everybody accountable for what just a few people have done. And the earth opened up and dealt with those 250 Moses did not focus 
on Aaron's sin. He focused on the plan and purpose of God and God's faithfulness to his word. When I read that, I had a hard time thinking of anybody but Jesus. Think about it. When Jesus made the decision to intercede for you at the cross, he didn't think about your sin. He thought of God's plan and purpose for your life. When he decided to go to the cross and be the intercession, be the mediator between you and God, when Jesus made that decision, he wasn't focused on your sin. He was focused on God's promises. And he was focused on God's plan for your life. The plan that God had for your life. Jesus is the mediator, the intercessor. And I want to encourage you today, some of you are praying for some loved ones. You're praying for some friends, praying for some family members. Maybe you're praying for some children. You know, when you're praying for them, I want to encourage you to use what you get here. When you're praying for people, don't focus or even think about their sin. Because if you do, it'll taint your sin. It'll taint your prayer. So don't focus on how bad they are. Don't get into discussion of how bad their sin is. Focus on the plan and the purpose that God has for their life. The sin issue, they will have to deal with God with that. That's not in your realm. That's outside of your ballpark. They will have to come to the Lord graciously and with a willing heart. And Jesus will forgive them. But for our viewpoint, from our perspective, we have a great God who loves us, who cares about us, and who didn't see the pain of the cross. One great passage, it's in Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2. I love this. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, the life of faith, let's strip, strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let's run with endurance the race that God has set before us. I love verse 2. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus the champion who initiates and perfects our faith, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. What was the joy awaiting him? You! You being saved. You being redeemed. You having a life of forgiveness. You having an abundant life. The joy that he was looking at was your salvation and my salvation. His joy was that you might be redeemed. You could be forgiven of your sin. And you could have a right relationship with Almighty God. That was the joy that he was focused on. And he put beside the the shame and the pain of the cross because of the joy of you getting saved. Disregarding its shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. And one last passage. Hebrews 
7. Hebrews 7, verse 24 and 25. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever, I love this, to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. Some of the translations in verse 25 says, He is able to save to the uttermost. (laughs) He's able to save no matter what. He's able to save no matter how far you've sunk. No matter how far you've found yourself in the pit of sin, He is able to save you. And He is, where is He? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. What's He doing? Tells us right there. He ever lives to intercede for you and I because of the joy of you and I walking in relationship with Him. He intercedes. He has interceded by dying on the cross for us. But today He intercedes at the Father's throne that you would make it. And this morning, he's, he intercedes that if there's a person here today that up until this point you have rejected his great love. Today, today, along with, I think, at least I believe, a lot of believers who are in heaven today see this moment right now. And they know you're here. And if you've never made a decision to make Him Lord of your life, I believe they join with our Lord. And they intercede for you today. That today, today, you would say yes. You would say, I surrender to Jesus. Last week we had several Quite a few give their heart and their life to Jesus. But again, I just want you to get a picture of not only how powerful your intercession can be for others, but that Jesus is interceding for you. And I don't care what you've done, where you've been, what's happened. God is not focused on how bad you are. He's focused on His great love for you and His plan for your life. He's ready to forgive all that junk. He's ready to forgive all that sin. He's ready to put it behind Him. In the same way Moses never even mentioned Aaron's sin. And that's, that's he, was, he was playing out picture of Jesus to us the great intercessor for God's people bow your head would you Holy Spirit the very beginning we welcomed your presence we welcome 
you to move freely among us. We even sang and said, do whatever you want to do, Lord. Now the moment comes when we can act upon what we've said. That we would surrender to you and let you be Lord of our life. If you're here this morning and you know God is tugging on your heart and this morning you need to make Him Lord of your life. You need to surrender to His Lordship. You need to fulfill the destiny for which you were created. The very first thing that must happen in your life to fulfill His destiny for your life is that you must surrender to His Lordship and make Him Lord of your life. It's a willing choice of your heart, but it also means confessing Him out loud. Declaring Him Lord out loud. If you're here this morning, you would be willing to say, Yes, Lord, I need you to be Lord of my life. I want you to be Lord of my life. I'm just going to ask you to slip up your hand. If you're here this morning, you need to do that. You would like to do that. Anybody? I know there's some people here this morning. You need to make that decision. Anybody? Stand to your feet. You would just stand to your feet. The worship teams, we're going to sing this song. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. And as they sing, I'm just going to invite you, if you would make your way down to the front, let me pray with you. Spirit, you are welcome. You want to start over and ask Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life? You want to rededicate your life to the Lord, whatever it is. just want to invite you to make your way down to the front and say, yes, Lord. I want to make you Lord of my life. Anybody, maybe, maybe you asked Jesus to be Lord of your life when you were young, and, but you hadn't walked in it. Maybe you walked away from God. I want to invite you today, come back to Him. Renew that relationship with Him and say, yes, Lord, I need you. Anybody? to be over.
Lord. I want to invite any person today that you would take the challenge of interceding for some lost people in your family, your home, maybe some friends. Just challenge you to realize how powerful your intercession can be. If you would just be willing to join with me and pray and be that person to intercede for them. Let's just raise our hands. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, use me, Lord, as an intercessor, one who would stand in the gap. Lord, I lift up my family, my friends. Use me, Lord, as I intercede for them that you would bring about your plan, your purpose in their life. Thank you, Lord, for encouraging me, Lord, to remember to pray and not give up. Thank you, Father, for your great love and mercy for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Bless the Lord. Amen. Praise God. We dismiss you. If there's anybody who still wants to be saved, we're going to stay down here for a few moments. Otherwise, I love you and you are dismissed. Amen.